And now, Lord, we welcome you, the living eternal word to come and speak to us, your particular and specific word for this moment, for this hour, for this people, for this day. In Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again and welcome. My name is Pastor Jim Olson. I have the privilege of serving here as the lead pastor of Bethel Christian Fellowship. Well, uh, this morning we are uh, continuing in our Advent series on expecting. And uh, if you have your Bible, if you would turn to the book of Matthew, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one located uh, conveniently in front of you on your, uh, the back of your the seat in front of you. And uh, if you'd pull that out and come to the very first book in the New Testament. So uh, about two-thirds of the way through the Bible, you'll find uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, we have begun a uh, brand new series that is going to take us over the next, I don't know how long, uh, as I mentioned, uh, 25 years ago when I came here to Bethel Christian Fellowship to pastor, the first book of the Bible that I preached was the Gospel of John. About 10 years later, I preached through the Gospel of Luke. About five years uh, after that, about five years ago, I preached through the Gospel of Mark. And now uh, we are going to be walking our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And I just want to remind you of a couple things that I shared last week. I would encourage you to go to the website, uh, pick up the podcast there, or, uh, or the MP3 file, whatever it's called, I don't know. And, or you can get a CD in the back and PowerPoint uh, of last week's message. But let me just remind you of a couple of things that are important as we begin this journey together through the book of Matthew. First of all, um, we need to understand the reality of the gospel. The gospel is not simply about giving some information. It isn't simply um, sort of a biography of Jesus. In fact, the gospel is a message. And it's a message that carries the very living presence and power of Jesus Christ. So when we come to, as it says in Isaiah, the Lord dwells in a high and lofty place, but is also with those who are humble and contrite of heart and who tremble at his word. When we come to the gospel, there ought to be a trembling within us because we are actually interacting as we come to the gospel with the very living power and presence of Jesus Christ himself. So these are not just simply history books. This is not simply biographies. This isn't just something, some collected sayings. This is a message to our lives and to our world today as we saw last week and as we'll continue, continue to see in the weeks and months and however long it takes us to get through. Our author is Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, who's the brother of James the Apostle, who's also known as Levi, the tax collector, and Matthew 4 gives us the introduction to Matthew's life. Now, we don't know a lot about Matthew, but the couple of things that are of interest here, one is, uh, as a tax collector, he was uh, part of, and, and, and really a betrayer of his people, and, and a sympathizer, not even just a sympathizer, he was a collaborator with the hated Roman Empire, collecting taxes from his people. But his brother, James, who was also an apostle, they had the same father, but they went in very different directions because James, it's likely that James was part of the Zealot Party, which were ultra-nationalists. And so you had to believe that family gathers, gatherings were interesting when Matthew and James got together in the same room. 
Talk about, this is much more than the Republicans and the Democrats. This was like diametrically opposed uh, political understandings. And so Matthew comes to his gospel with some, and, and some unique perspectives, both because of his family background as well as even the background as a tax collector. Uh, he, he has some things, and we'll, we'll kind of note a few things along the way that uh, will, will give us insight into even how his vocation impacted what he did in terms of the presentation of this gospel message. He has a unique vision. Matthew is vision, um, each of the different gospels has sort of a different facet. Sometimes people say, well, you know, the Bible is full of inaccuracies and inerrancies, I mean, er errors, because, you know, you go to the four Gospels and, and they don't all agree with one another on every little piece of detail and all of that. But the reality is that wasn't their focus and wasn't their interest. And in fact, it would be weird if there were four books that were identical. That would be absolutely odd. It would, it would, it would mean that there was some kind of coercion. In fact, they're coming with each of them with a unique vision and a unique perspective which enables us to get a bigger, broader view of who Jesus is. And the unique vision of Matthew is he sees the Lord as the lion. And sort of if you were going to put a, a word over the gospel of Matthew, it would be, behold your king. Behold your king. And so we're going to see throughout the kingship of Jesus. The key verse, Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20 all authority has been given. All nations. Go to all nations. This is the Great Commission. And invite them all into complete allegiance to Jesus. And so the very end of the book, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, gives us sort of the key verse for this entire gospel. Now, last week we began by looking at the genealogy of Jesus. And I heard from some of my... Um, friends, including one who lives in my home, that they were expecting that to be particularly boring, reading through the genealogies, okay? But in fact, we discovered that there was some incredible truths that were there. First of all, Jesus was born from the right line, a record of the genealogy of Jesus, Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So right at the beginning, we see that Jesus is coming out of a particular lineage. He's coming out of the lineage of the King David. He's coming out of the lineage of the father of the people of Israel. He is a son of David. He's a son of Abraham. We also saw that Jesus came at the right time. Matthew 1.17, that should be 1.17. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Christ. Matthew, here's that, that little bit of that tax collector thing. He's used to keeping accounts, and here he's got the 14, 14, and 14. Well, what's that about? Well, we discovered that 14 is the number of David. It was the, the, it was the symbol the, in Hebrew numerology David's, the number of David's name was 14. We also saw that three 14s is actually six sevens, and seven is the number of completion. And there are six of them, and then there is Jesus who comes to complete the seven of the sevens, the completion of the completion, at just the right time. Jesus came, as it says in Galatians 4.4, but when the set time had fully come, when the kairos moment had arrived, 
There's chronological time. There is months, days, years, hours, minutes, seconds. And then there's kairos time when God interrupts. And he interrupted chronological time. At just the right moment, he sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. And we saw that Jesus came from the right design. And this is actually Matthew chapter 1, verses 2 to 16. Matthew 1, 2 to 16. Jesus came. And as we saw last week, his genealogy startlingly, subversively, as it were, includes women, Gentiles, and outcasts. So what's the point of that? Well, as we saw last week, it means that God has redeemed and is interested in all people. And so, here in this house of prayer for all nations, we recognize that every life matters. Whatever the color of our skin, whatever our age, from the womb until death, whatever our educational background, whatever language we speak, our gender, Whatever it is, in all of the beautiful diversity of people even sitting in this room, every one of your lives has significance to God. So Jesus didn't just get born from a lineage of perfect people. He got born out of a lineage of people like you and me, real human beings who sometimes had pretty sketchy lives. (laughs) So this morning, I've entitled our message as we continue now, Conceiving Christ the King. So if you have your Bible, come with me to Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to read for us verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her. And she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, oftentimes when we come to the account of Jesus' birth, most of the time, probably the majority of the time, our focus, often at least on the human dimension, is on Mary. But it's interesting, of course, Mary's story is told in depth by, by Luke. But when we get here into Matthew, it's very interesting that the focus, and as it will be in chapter 2, which we're going to unfold next week, we're going to be looking at chapter 2. Chapter 1 is all about Jesus coming from 
as it were, it's all about his lineage, his human lineage. In chapter 2, it's all about his geographics. We're going to be looking at a, a lot of stuff related to, to where Jesus came from and how he got to where he was and how that fulfills the Old Testament prophecy, which is what Matthew is very concerned about. But it's very interesting that his focus is almost exclusively very tight on Joseph. Sometimes Joseph is known as the forgotten member of the Holy Family because we don't really hear a lot about him and there isn't much about him in other places in Scripture, but we do discover some important things here that I want us to just very quickly unpack. First of all, as it says in Matthew 1.16, this is very interesting, and Jacob, so go back here, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. What do you notice in that verse? Anybody? Extra sermon points available. Tell me what you notice about the way Matthew unpacks that. What was that? Say it louder. Joseph is not the father of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? He's the, he's the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Let's come down here, though, a little bit, and we're going to get into that just a bit more in a moment. Well, first of all, notice his lineage, like because, of course, Jesus, but, but, but Matthew still makes it very clear that his lineage is also from David and from Abraham. So he's walking through the same, so he's in that same lineage as Jesus because, of course, though he's not the father of Jesus, we're going to see that he, on a human level, becomes the father of Jesus. His situation is that he is the husband of Mary. Now, now we have these words here, and he was pledged to be married, and many of you know that the, the, the sort of the um, cultural background here is that once you got, you were often engaged as a child, actually, because, you know, parents would not leave it to the chance, chances of the hearts of young people to make a wise decision about marriage. And so they would, from a very early age, even before a child had hit puberty, they would, they, they would arrange and have an engagement between a young boy and a young girl. When they got to the place where they were becoming a marital, marital age, um, then they would go through what was called a betrothal. And the betrothal was something that was a formal covenant that was now made. And so for a year, they were engaged, in the words that we would use, engaged, but it was as if they were married. They were, it was as if they were husband and wife in every respect except for that they had not yet come together in physical union, which would happen after the year betrothal when they would be married. So Joseph and Mary were in the betrothal stage. So in every, legally, in every sense of the word, other than physical union, Joseph was Mary's husband. It was a binding contract, terminable only by death. Now when Joseph found out that Mary was with child, because he had not had any sexual union with her, of course his immediate thought was that she must have had, I mean, you know, that would be a very natural understanding, that she must have had physical union with someone else. 
And yet the Lord came to him and spoke to him and said, now. This did not come through physical, con, you know, with, with another person, another human being. This was something that came through the Holy Spirit. And it's so interesting here, verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But what is so interesting about his character and what really begins to now shine as it relates to his righteousness is that his righteousness here ultimately becomes revealed by his love and his obedience to the direction of the Lord. I think sometimes we misunderstand what righteousness is. We think righteousness is simply about keeping all of the right rules. And if Joseph was just simply concerned with keeping the right rules, he would have had every reason and been given every legal ability to divorce Mary. But rather... I believe that Joseph's great righteousness here is revealed in his love for Mary and for his willingness to be obedient to the voice of the Lord. It's sort of a sermon McNugget for you to chew on. But I want us to understand in this year of growing maturity that righteousness, yes, we follow in obedience to the rule of the Lord, to the way he orients us, but we listen carefully to his voice and it's his love that is revealed through us that is the ultimate mark of righteousness in us. His role is the adoptive father. That's the role that Joseph has. He is the adoptive father of Jesus. I love what it says here. He says, um, the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home and and all of that. And uh, when Joseph, look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. That's a weak translation there. The word is he welcomed her home. He didn't simply tolerate her. He opened his arms and he embraced and he welcomed her. And he named her son Jesus. And and in the naming, in the welcoming of Mary and in the naming of Jesus, he officially is established as the earthly human adoptive father of Jesus. What a beautiful Don't you just love Joseph? I mean, you know, we hear a lot about Mary and she's beautiful and wonderful. But don't you just love Joseph? He was a good man. And of course, God knew that when he chose him to be the adoptive human father of his son. Now, the other person that's really um, front and center in this passage is who? Who's the other person front and center in this passage? It's pretty obvious. Well, Jesus, but 
God. <laughs> Sorry, it was too easy. It was a gimme. Everybody's trying to think, wait a minute, wait, what, what, who? Let me read the passage real quick. God. God's the other main character in the drama here. So you've got Joseph and you've got God. God the Father. In fact, this is a very Trinitarian passage. Implicit in here, you see the work of the Holy Spirit. Of course, you've got Jesus and you've got God the Father all at work. Now, the first thing that we see about God and something that's really important, so I want us to kind of unpack what God's up to here and understand his character and who he is in the context of this passage. Some really significant things here. First of all, God is generating. God is always generative. Does anybody know what generating or generative means? What am I talking about there? What's that? Somebody say it loud. Creating. Recreating. Life producing. Producing life. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through, everybody say through. Say through. Through the Holy Spirit. That's the generating work of God. Now people struggle down through the ages with, well, virgin birth. Really? Well, the reality is this is fully in line with the very character of who God is. Who is always creating and recreating life. All the way back to the book of beginnings. And remember, Matthew, even the words that he used here, bring us back to Genesis. And Genesis 1-2, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, preparing to create. In the famous passage in Ezekiel chapter 37 with the dry bones, at the end of that, when, when Ezekiel's seeing this picture of dry bones and the people of Israel coming together, he has... The word of the Lord speaks to him and says, I'm going to put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. I'm going to put my spirit in you and you will live. This is the power of the spirit of God. Who is always creating and recreating Producing life. Even today, in your own life experience, there are places that are dead or feel as if they are dying. And the word of the Lord to your heart today is this. I am the God who comes to generate life in you. To bring you life and to recreate new life. Secondly, the Spirit of God is guiding. He generates and he guides. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her 
is from the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the amazing thing, and you'll see this all the way through these first two chapters of Matthew. You see the Spirit of God guiding. He's guiding through history. He's guiding through dreams. He's guiding through angels. He's guiding through scriptures. Let me tell you this very clearly. The Spirit of God is very interested in guiding your life. Now, he doesn't always come with an angel or a dream, but sometimes he does. Particularly at critical moments in your life, he may speak to you in ways that are outside of your normal way of sort of living. Pay attention and wake up and listen. Aren't you glad Joseph did? He could have said, oh man, that pizza didn't sit well last night. But he didn't. He heard. He listened. And even through history, God will speak through the history of your life and the history of the life of his people. And he will speak to you through the scriptures in all kinds of ways. He is seeking to orient you in your life as he did with Joseph. As it says in John 16, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Say all. All the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The Spirit of God is living in you to guide you. People always say, well, if only I'd lived on earth when Jesus was on earth, then I'd know, and then it'd be really understandable to be clear. Well, the only thing better than walking alongside of Jesus is to have Jesus walking inside of you. All right, one more. Revealing. Revealing. God reveals. He, he generates and he guides and then he reveals. And here's the heart of the message this morning as we come towards the close. Is what does he reveal? Well, he reveals who this son of his is. First of all, he reveals that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Here's the prophetic promise from the past, and, and I'm so grateful that Andrew brought it up this morning in the context of preparing us for the Advent candle and the, and the celebration of Advent this morning. Remember in Isaiah chapter 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel. And Matthew then says, which means what? What does it mean? God with us. Now, Matthew is writing a distinctly Jewish Christian gospel. He's, he's assuming that his readers have some scripture context that some of the other gospel writers don't necessarily assume. So he often draws on Old Testament scriptures to make his case. And I believe that when Matthew quotes Isaiah 7.14 here, when the angel of the Lord, and he, he tells about that, he's also drawing them into other scriptures out of Isaiah. In fact, Isaiah 7 through 11 are full of messianic prophetic scriptures. Many of them are familiar to us. Let me just remind you of two of them that you know well. 
Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. Now, we're going to find out more here about who this God with us is. Who is this God with us? Is he a nice little cute little baby? I mean, everybody loves a cute little baby. But if Jesus was just a little baby, if God with us was just meant, well, we had this nice warm feeling, ah, that would leave us with a little bit less than what we need, right? No, he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Everybody say amen. amen. Aren't you glad? But not only that, Isaiah 11 tells us, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, and of might, the spirit of knowledge, the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. We look around us in the complexities of our world. And we see all of the injustice and we see all of the unrighteousness and we see all of the confusion and the problems and the divisions and everything else. And we say, how will this ever change? It will not happen. It will not happen with man's effort. It will require, and it does require, that the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord, it it is the rod and staff of our Savior Jesus who brings true justice and true peace and true righteousness in the world. We need him. God, we need you with us. Desperately, Emmanuel. We're in a mess. Just like the people of Israel were in a mess with the enemies coming after them and they were shaking like leaves in the tree. God with us will come. This is a prophetic promise not only for the past, it's a prophetic promise for now. I love this, Matthew 18, 20, for wherever two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. We're here this morning, God is with us because we're gathered in his name. There's more than two or three of us here. We're gathered, he's with us. As it says at the end of the book in Matthew 28, in teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you. Say, I am with you. I am with you some of the time. Wait a minute, what does it say? Always. To the very end of the age. All right. The second thing that the Spirit of God reveals about who Jesus is, he is Emmanuel, God with us. And he's Jesus. You're going to call him Jesus, the name which means God saves or rescues us. Yahweh rescues. Yahweh saves. Same as the Old Testament word or the Old Testament name Joshua. Jesus, Joshua. It says in Psalm He's a prophetic promise from the past. In Psalm 130, verse 8, he himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Now, this is interesting. Come here, look at, look at this with me. Look at verse 21. She will give birth to a son. 
You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, it's interesting what he says here. Because he doesn't say he's going to save you from your oppressors. He doesn't say he's going to save you from all your circumstances that you don't like so much. And he doesn't say he's going to save you from the people around you and all of their sins. He says he's going to save you from your sins. He's going to save us from our sins. It's so easy to point the finger at everybody else. If only those people, and you know who those people are. And it's coming right back at us. He saves us from our sins. Jeremiah 31, here's the prophetic promise from the past. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'm going to make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It'll not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'm going to put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Let me say something unequivocally here. As we look at the injustices around us and the unrighteousness and the division and all of the things, and we talked about this last week, and it's deeply disturbing and our hearts are moved with compassion and concern and lament. Ultimately, while we need laws and while we need rule and regulation to help us and to guide us and to move as a society and as a culture in certain directions, ultimately, the only answer for the deep injustices in our world and the deep unrighteousness that we see all around us is for us to repent and to receive forgiveness for our sins. It's the change of heart that ultimately produces the cultural change that we so desperately need. Deeply, as we shared about this last week, deeply concerned about the racial inequities and injustice that are happening in our society in the lives of people of all, again, all backgrounds getting cut short by violence and injustice and unrighteousness. That should concern us all and our hearts should be filled with lament and we need to listen carefully and we need to declare boldly that Jesus has come to save and to rescue us from our sin. And before we point the finger there, we must allow the Lord to work in our own heart and bring salvation to our hearts and to begin to change our mindsets and our hearts and our attitudes. And then let that begin to ripple forth and become, even as God has called us here in this house as a house of prayer for all nations, to become a prophetic witness to this world that it can be different. Anybody going to witness? Yes, it can be different. And Jesus does his work. This is a prophetic promise for the present as well. And hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I've come to call sinners. Any sinners in the room? Guess what? You've been called by Jesus. When they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time we come to the table, we're reminded of the incarnation. This is the incarnation. The incarnation is God in flesh, God with us. And his body and his blood remind us that Jesus Emmanuel has come to set us free. Bono, lead singer of U2, you, you and, and, and a poet musician, reflected on a Christmas Eve service, after a Christmas Eve service in Dublin. And he, and he, and he said these words in an interview with somebody. He said, the idea that God, if there is a force of love and logic in the universe, that it would seek to explain itself is amazing enough. That it would seek to explain itself by becoming a child born in poverty, in straw, a child. I thought, wow, just the poetry. I saw the genius of picking a particular point in time and deciding to turn on this. Love needs to find a form. Intimacy needs to be whispered. Love has to become an action or something concrete. It would have to happen. There must be an incarnation. Love must be made flesh. A safe, you know, a kind of a, a, a nice hallmark God would maybe think about sending a prophet or some scriptures or some nice thoughts or some things to a world to bring it towards redemption. But our God is not a hallmark God. Our God is a relentlessly loving God who has come in flesh, in form, into the world to bring salvation. Jesus, Yahweh, saves, accomplishes His work by being Emmanuel, God with us. Say it again. Jesus, Yahweh saves accomplishes his work by being Emmanuel, God with us. So this morning, whatever your situation, wherever you've come from, I want you to know that there is one who has come from heaven for you. To save us from ourselves, from our pride, from our um, insatiable desire to control, from our, uh, all of our stuff that, um, that, that rules our lives and rules the lives of those around us. Jesus, Yahweh saves, has come and he has come and accomplished his work by being with us in the midst of our everyday, walking around, ordinary life. So if you'd stand with me, please, this morning.
If you're physically able, just stand up to your feet. And I give you this morning this Christmas truth again. That Emmanuel has come. God with us. And Jesus saves and rescues. So as we sing this song, and then I will give a benediction. If this morning you have need to receive from Him salvation from yourself, first and foremost. Salvation from your sin. Salvation from brokenness. Come this morning and receive. For He is here and He loves you. And you can come to the close of the service and talk to one of the folks up here or someone nearby you and just say, I need to know more about this. And all of us today are in the same place of needing compassion, of needing a Savior. Would you just open your hands? Lord, thank you so much for the reality and truth of this word today. Thank you, God, that you are Emmanuel, God, with us, the one who rescues and saves us, Jesus. We love you, and we welcome you this day. We welcome you this day. And now with hands open, I pray that you may be filled with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit, be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your life. In the name of Jesus, I bless you. Amen.